Hello Philorians! Today we talk about 305 A Life in the Day with special guest Brittany Curran. Fucking magician. And magic comes from pain. Trying to tell you, you are not alone here. You love magic. Is it in your soul? Want me to come to Philorania? Really? Send you an epic quest. It's just a promise, motherfucker. Hello, Brittany! Hi, Kath! How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, we're gonna have it. I don't think I've done this before. Hey, like I said, technology is, ne is never working when we need it. Yes, yes. Uh, interview <laughs> two, now that my computer's working. <laughs> so, uh, today we're gonna talk about the famous... 305, the, the episode that broke the fandom. Yes, a life <laughs> Written by the amazing Mike Moore. Yes, and uh, directed by, oh, I had it all done. It's the same that did 405 as well. Oh, John Scott, right? Yes, yes. yes. Thank I love the episode. That's the only reason why I don't remember. So, yes. <laughs> and Mike Moore are amazing. I love both of them. There's a sensibility in this episode that is quite uh, impressive. Um, Big time. And this in this episode, we talk about home. And I was wondering if you had um, a story about home. Oh, gosh, a story about home. Um, yeah, I guess I do, actually. I um, So I bought my, my fiancé and I bought a house together about a year ago. Your fiancé. So, yes, yes, my fiancé, newly fiancé. <laughs> and uh, I guess this is a very literal story of home um but yeah basically we fell in love with this house and everything was working and going through and then all of a sudden at the last minute I won't bore you with the details but like the most random step in the process fell apart that like neither of us could have foreseen and so usually I you know I have some anxiety problems and so when stuff starts mm -hmm. crumbling that's really important to me some I either get like really confident and really calm and can just get through it or I completely uh you know crumble and have a almost panic attack and um and in this instant I actually was the uh the confident one that got us oh. through and I was just like no I am calling everyone I was calling the IRS I was calling every every entity under the sun that could help me with this very silly little problem that literally had nothing to do with buying a house that it was like a snippet in the or I don't know what you'd call it in the process and mm. um yeah. And so we got it done. We were coming back and forth between Canada and the United States to make it work. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's not a very interesting story. I feel like No, it's interesting because the home, your home, you made it your home, you know? Yeah. And we just like, you know, felt so connected to it right away. And that's where I am right now. And um, we've been working on it and refurbishing it together because it was built in 1936. And it's like this old Hollywood. We don't live in Hollywood. We live somewhere else in LA, but it's this old like Hollywood style bungalow and it's been in the same family uh, for almost a hundred years. And the woman who wow. lived here, her name's Dolores Thompson. She was, uh, she wasn't born in the house, but she grew up her whole life here and her family passed the house on to her and she passed away uh, right before he bought the house when she was 95 years old. And so this house has been in her, her was, you know, is where she lived her entire life. And so mm -hmm. we moved in and I, uh, I talked to her. I mean, I don't actually see Dolores anyways, but, but sometimes I like say hi, Dolores. Or if I do a particularly like old lady type thing, like I tend to do I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll a little shout out to my girl, Dolores. And, um, yeah, I just love that this house has been, it was in like one family's possession for all those years. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully now James and I will, will take as good care of it as they did. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's the beauty of home is it has so much soul, like technically a house is nothing, but when you make it a home, that's become something. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, I know it meant a lot to her. And, and oh, you know what? One fun little story when we bought the house is um, there was black carpeting in the bathroom, which is as horrifying as it sounds. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. The first thing we did was rip it up. And it was actually when I was in Vancouver filming. 
Christians and James was back here starting the reno, like the little renovations, and he ripped up the black carpeting. And underneath the carpet, there was literally an envelope of five hundred dollars in cash. What? And we were like, what? And so we uh, we actually content contacted the real estate agent to contact her family to say that we would give it back to them, and they were so kind and told us that that we would keep it. So we uh, so we were going to donate it to uh, a charity in Dolores's name. <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, like a little thank you for Dolores to for accidentally leaving five hundred dollars behind for us. <laughs> I just. There's so many questions that come with this discovery. Yeah, I know. We were like, how, why, like, why was... In the bathroom. In the bathroom under the horrible black carpeting. Yeah, I have no idea why that was there. I was sure you were about to say, like, oh, we found, like, a fungi or something. No, no, $500. Oh, no, we found cash, baby. Straight cash. (laughs) (laughs) Only happened in Hollywood. Exactly. It is a story, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and um, if we if we start with the episode, uh, we start in the physical cottage, which is kind of the house of the magician, in my opinion. It is. It feels like it too. It's it's definitely one of my favorite sets um, on our sound stages, and it really feels like home. Uh, I I just hang out in there sometimes, just like when I'm not filming, because I love it so much. It's amazing. Every time I, I look at it, I find something new. Like I discovered that there were um, uh, lights that were glued on the on the ceiling. Oh and yeah. I was like, why? Okay, what happened? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this year I think it might be new this season, but near one of the fireplaces in the living the main living room area, there are there's like forks and plates and general dishware that's just stuck to the ceiling. What? Yeah, I know. I never noticed. I think it might be new, but um, yeah. And then this season, there's a particular episode coming up. Uh, I think it's in like two or three episodes, where it has a. I'll just say it's it's a very very different physical kids cottage than we're used to for an episode. So you'll know you'll know when I see it. It's very Uh-oh. very different. Hey, this is Editing Cat, just to tell you that now that I've watched the whole season, uh, Brittany is talking about 509 Cello Squirrel Daffodil, where Penny and Plum go to brick build in the 20s. For an episode. I mean, we, we saw it trashed for timelines uh, 23, I think. So, who knows? Yeah, exactly. You never know what will, what's going down at Trickle Cottage. <laughs> yeah, and that, that, like, that's what I like. It has so much, like, like you said, like, it was a lot of like your house has this story of having like the same family i i feel all the trinkets there is in the physical cottage has this story of students like i'm sure that the 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 lamp glued on the ceiling is it was one of elliot's party and like <laughs> exactly yeah i love how the physical kids cottage you know it's just supposed it was originally just supposed to be their basically dormitory for the four years of their grad school. And it became Mm -hmm. so much more than that, you know, like it was just supposed to be their, their temporary home while they went to school. And I think it's incredible that even after they're not in school anymore, they're not taking classes and they're like, they're living their lives now and they're going on literal adventures, literal quests that the physical kids cottage is still one of their home bases. And I think it really speaks to how important home is. And once something is a home, it's, it's always a home. I think like that's where Q lives basically during the the magical shortage, and I think that might be because like it's the first place he belonged. Ex- oh yeah, that's such a good point. It is the first place where he belonged. Oh, oh, but I, and then we have Alice and Quentin that are super awkward trying to pretend that nothing happened, but she's mad at him, and yeah, he's like, Nyeh. and I, I. I wrote that yesterday and I was super tired and I don't know what I mean, but love is home. And when you broke it with trust, it's hard to have it again. Yes, that's so true. Oh, I love that. That's very poetic. Me too. You go, high cat. Good job. (laughs) I I was just waiting for the CBD to kick in. Yeah. And I think it kicked in there. Hey, it kicked in wonderfully. That's from right there. But I think that's what Alice and Quentin have been chasing from their breakup. Yeah. Was that feeling of like familiarity? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, gosh, you know, it's been so long since I've, I mean, I obviously just rewatched 305 because we were having this chat, but it's been so long since I've seen the rest of season three. I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. Was that right after him and Ellie, him and Elliot and Margo had their threesome? Uh, the, the trio, trio five is a no, 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 five. Like, what led to the awkwardness between them? This is like, uh, he brought her back as a niffin and she's pissed. What? Oh my god, I'm way off. I was the whole season. No, I, I, <laughs> you're off a season. <laughs> Lord, yeah, I literally just watched 305, but not <laughs> Wow, I am literally off by a season. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that speaks a lot to like Alice and what she considers home and like what her body means to her and like what the meaning, like how much our bodies really mean and like our souls and our bodies being detached and what's home and what's real. And Alice certainly experienced a lot of uh, weird stuff with that subject. No, you're right. I never know. I never like thought of like Alice's body as her own home, but that's basically like, that's why she feels trapped because she doesn't feel it's her own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, what is your personhood? What is your home, your conscious, your, your body, your soul, your whatever, your combination of all of it. And I would imagine, mm -hmm. yeah, being a Niffin makes you really question all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we, we go to Katie that is in the hospital yep. uh, because she just OD'd. And, yep. um, and Alice give her the key to show Penny, thinking that she's doing a good thing. But Katie needed to be in the hospital, like... Yeah, in my opinion, and giving her a, a way to leave was not the best idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think Katie needed to maybe have some more recovery period, and um, yeah, it must have been shocking when she saw Penny. I would have thought she would have been a little more excited about it, but I guess but that's the thing. She referred like when she say, "If you say I love you, I'm gonna punch you," or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And which is funny because she cannot punch him, but um, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh i don't know why she refused penny to say i love you that's the one thing i don't understand about kitty because they both love each other like just kiss you know <laughs> exactly yeah i have no clue either i'll have to ask jade <laughs> I, was like, I love you yeah and like now that like and it's weird to see arjun playing penny 20 uh, uh, 40 because now i'm getting used to 23 and i'm like Wow, the the way he acts is so different and yet so the same. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like the yeah, like who he is is still there, but it's just like a different personnel, a different version of him, I guess. Yes. And uh, you were not in this episode because Fred and Frey and Todd were in New York. That's right. Uh, Fred, Fred and Frey and Todd were in the square of time. <laughs> I need this episode. <laughs> I know, I would love to out of that, of just the three of them gallivanting around New York City, just having no clue. Like, I want I want an episode of just Ben and Earth. Yeah, that <laughs> on Earth, Ben, like, discovering things with her child, like, who would make us people who actually live on Earth appreciate it even more, like, seeing it through the lens of, of Fen's eyes and her perspective? Because she certainly appreciates the crap out of Earth. <laughs> oh yes well it's it's funny because uh we need like a life from fillery with fen but on earth yeah totally <laughs> with fen where she brings you around earth and discovers it for herself that would be so funny and cute well i'm gonna have to pitch that so uh writer please do it yeah why don't you pitch that to the to the network That's a good idea. <laughs> okay okay they're totally gonna listen to me not <laughs> <laughs> if they listen to me, the magician will be become the fan show. So yeah, exactly. exactly. I think you might be biased. And it's funny because then after that, we see Quentin talking about filler and further and mosaic. And the way he talked about it is like he doesn't need to what read the book; you know it by heart. Yeah. I don't know if you have a book like that, but for me, like I can quote almost every Harry Potter line. Oh, that's awesome! Really. Yeah, uh, like for me, Harry Potter and like this fantasy world is so something I know that I don't need to watch the book to tell you information. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's funny. I was just that Harry Potter world last night because I live so, I live so close to Universal uh, Universal Studios Hollywood. So I wore my uh, my Hedwig dress and I uh, James and I went to Harry Potter. Uh, what is it called? The Harry, yeah, the Wizarding World for a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, is there the, the new rides? Um, was it, say that again. 
The Hagrid ride is it in uh, in in LA too? The ride, the uh, the flight of the hippogriff. Yeah. Yes, that one's in LA too. I love that ride. Oh my god! I I went when there was like just one ride, which was the one when you fly with Harry through Hogwarts and then you end up in the Forbidden oh, yeah. Forest. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. The- it was only that when I went, so I need to go back. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Flight of the Hippogriff is really fun. It's like it's like a classic outdoor roller coaster. It's really cute. Aww. Yeah. Do you have a, a book like that for you? That is a, your filler and further? Oh, gosh. Um, I, let me think. God, I have certain authors like that more. Like, there's not really a specific book that I know, like, that well. But there's definitely certain authors that I gravitate towards or like have emotional reactions to or like know like a lot of their philosophies and quotes and stuff like mm-hmm. I really love uh, like ni- um, 20th century wait, wait what am I doing what am I saying uh, I love the transcendentalists like the Massachusetts transcendentalists like Emerson and Thoreau and uh, I like to quote them sometimes just randomly um, yeah <laughs> no, I, yeah uh, I love Hemingway. I just read A Movable Feast, which I'm pretty obsessed with now. I moved. I read it when I was in Paris last last month. And, oh, uh, I love yeah. that Hemingway in Paris, perfect. Oh, I know. It was just like the perfect combination. And then James and I went to his uh, Paris apartment that he lived in in the 20s, and um, it was pretty magical. I cried oh a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered Le Miserable the year I went to Paris for the first time. So I oh, went where the cafe, where the uh, young, young people are like rebelling, where the cafe is supposed to be. And it's a McDonald's. Oh my gosh, really? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I was like, huh. It's not very magical, is it? That, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, great, American consumerism, not really uh, magical. <laughs> that kind of broke the, the, the magic, yeah. <laughs> it broke the spell a bit, I would imagine. <laughs> But it's funny because uh, Elliot is uh, like they need to go back to Fillory, which they don't have magic to do, so it's kind of complicated. But you can see that Elliot is kind of scared to go back to Fillory, but yeah. it's home. The fairy are like taking that like love of his home away, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, I know it. It is sad because like I feel like Elliot's been on such a a journey, journey literally in a personal journey. And so, like, this place that gave them so much wonder as kids, especially Quentin, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Quentin. I know it's kind of sad to be... But I guess that happens, right? Is, like, as you grow older, home changes and the idea of home changes. And it can kind of go in ebbs and flows. And sometimes it can be a little scary. And and you have to, like, remember that that's okay. And if it changes back to goodness, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. But and then we see in filler what's happening, which is Margot at meeting the tribe of the floating mountain that no longer floats. Oh yeah, I love that part. <laughs> um, and it's funny because Margot always has been like reluctant about marriage, and even then, but Elliot did it with Finn, and it it like it always bothered me that that Margot is like, oh, I cannot do it, but Elliot never hesitated. Yeah, no, Elliot really never has hated it at all. And um, that little marriage scene in season one, which was not me, it was another actress, um, but with Elliot and Fenn, like it was actually a really unexpectedly sweet moment. Yeah. And um, I thought it really showed how um, how sacrificial Elliot could be and to, to really do the, the right thing for the group as opposed to just for himself. And uh, I think that shows why in the long long run, Elliot and Fenn have actually become like friends that, that mm-hmm. care very much about each other. Yeah, I was uh, recording another episode before and we were talking about how Elliot and, uh, Elliot and Fenn's love is the kind of love through respect. It's not a romantic yeah. love, but they respect the heck out of each other. Yeah, it's really like, like, yeah, it's respect. It's love and like a tr- deep respect of each other. Yeah. And, um, and I, I love that because it's funny that that was another theme that I thought was in episode um, 305, which was like j- just different types of love and different levels to love. Yeah. Because like, even for Fen, I feel like at one point she might have been in love with Elliot, but then realizing that that's not really what they had, it would also be unfair to Elliot for her to try to force that type of love on him. And so it obviously turned more into a um, 
uh, like a familial love and yeah. uh, love of friendship. And yeah, we get to explore more of like Elliot and Fenn's uh, relationship uh, in this, in season five. There's like some really cool scenes coming up actually at oh, the end cool. of the season that I'm really excited for you to see. It, it, it's cool because uh, I'm kind of like frustrated with Elliot and about Finn right now uh, as of like episode 305 because Finn is not doing so great and she has a love baby. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he doesn't do anything. You just look at her like uncomfortably. Like go hug her, give her like therapy, do something. Yeah, Finn, uh, Finn had it a little rough there in season five. I mean, in season, in season three, I mean um yeah people weren't very nice to Finn then I mean I guess they're still not very nice to Finn Finn deserved better that's my hashtag okay <laughs> better. I like read this I would read the script and I'd be like oh my god will someone throw Finn a bone for god's sake <laughs> well it's it's something that I've uh, I've noticed in season five the two times Finn called Margo out uh, when uh-huh. you were in the cage and when you're like I I did everything with the fairies and you arrived and you fucked everything up. Yeah. Margot is unable to look at Finn. Right, 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 right. Because she's like, oh shit, she's right. So like yeah. you yeah, go Mar- Finn. <laughs> you know, go Finn. And it's and it's nice of Margot that she has like an introspective moment. And um and yeah, I'm glad that Finn, you know, finally stuck up for herself. You're talking about when they're in the cages, right? With yeah. uh, Josh and Fenn and Margot. Yeah. Yeah, that was such an amazing day. The three of us had such a great day filming. And uh, yeah, it was nice for me, like as Fen, to finally to finally stick up for herself. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the thing. It, it starts, I think, with 302 when they go in the boat and they go to the outer island. Because she right, said, right, like, right. she tweeted, she like, I, as the daughter of a knife anchor, uh, a Blake killed a villager. And yeah. Elliot, Elliot believed her. And I think after that, it gave her confidence to talk to Elliot. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like it's a combination of Fen needing to one be, well, Fen one needing to respect herself first and be able to assert herself. And then in addition to that, other people being able to respect her and listen to her. Because if she can't like respect herself first, and if she can't, you know, assert for herself first, then it's going to be a lot harder for people to do the same. But also it's obviously easier when other people are being more kind to her and listening to her. So yeah, when Elliot listens to Fen and believes her, I know that that meant a lot to her and definitely, like, made them more of a, um, a team. Yeah, yeah, and, um, you just said something earlier that I just clicked. You said that Elliot, like, had this sacrifice by marrying Fen for the others, and that's why Margot resists. I just clicked because it's not a sacrifice for the others, it's for the fairy queen, which you have, oh, yeah. a, you have a hard relationship. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Very queen go way back. <laughs> they have a really <laughs> interesting relationship, don't they? Yeah. Candace Kane, who plays the fairy queen, is such a sweetheart in real life, and we're friends in real life. And so it was it was so funny, Um, you know, hating her for a little while on the show, and then all of a sudden having some sort of actual, like, you know, feelings of affection towards her. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, because, like, from this point, like, we, we are meant to hate the fairy queen. Like, she's forcing Margot into a wedding that she doesn't want, and then Margot is forcing an underage wedding. Yeah. And, like, we're like, oh, I don't like her. And at the end of, like, at uh, 3 or uh, 3.13, we're like, why am I crying? Because the fairy queen is dying. <laughs> I know. Like, we were filming that scene, and I just, like, I couldn't help. I mean, Fen was supposed to, but it was, like, just naturally was just tearing up because I'm like, oh my God, like, why do I care about the fairy queen all of a sudden? Like, I, I guess it's a good, a good lesson. And sometimes seeing someone else's perspective is really important. And like yeah. seeing what, I mean, obviously the fairy queen did some messed up stuff that is not good, but it also makes you see someone else's perspective and it's like, oh, well maybe we were bad too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, but the magician has this amazing idea that they give you a villain to hate. Yep. And then it's not that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was very similar to life. Like, very, very few people in life are, like, actual black and white, totally good, and totally bad. Yeah. Um, there's usually, uh, you know, we're human beings. There's usually a spectrum. <laughs> yeah, there, there are shades of gray, not to use that term. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, let's go back to the episode where uh, the kid gave a portal to um, to Elliot and and Quentin, like Margus and them buddies, saying like, "I'm about to get married. Come help me fuck forward." And yeah. the, the it's the second time that the kid will show a keyhole to Elliot. So like. Right. He didn't hesitate because the first time he saved his life, you know. And then, but they're brought to Fillory in the back in, in the past, which always made right. me wonder, like, how sentient or intelligent are the key? Oh yeah, uh, that's a good point. I'm not sure. I mean, I think they have a magic that we couldn't fully understand, even. Like, yeah. I don't even, you know, like, we just don't have the tools to, like, fully understand the magic of the keys. They're made know. by gods, yeah. Yeah, they're literally made by, by gods, but then gods who are, you know, not infallible. So it's really interesting. But it's funny because I, I feel if, let's say, Margot will, will have been with Elliot instead of Quentin, the key wouldn't have shown the keyhole. Like, the key knew that Elliot and Quentin could do the, the quest. Yeah. But Mark, imagine Margot doing that. Yeah, it would have been a very, very different outcome, I think. I, I don't think she would have succeeded. Yeah, definitely, definitely would have run differently, I would, I would imagine. I uh, I think that um, that Elliot and Quentin were incredibly patient. And uh, as we know um, from the show going on, both of them are willing to uh, to sacrifice, I mean, literally, literally uh sacrifice themselves for uh for the greater get good um yeah. i mean I, I, really twice right he yeah. um gave his life in in that timeline when they go back to fillery by accident to do the mosaic mm-hmm. and he gives his life then and then he uh sacrifices his life one other time to to save his friends he's really an incredibly heroic character and literally does it i never thought about that he literally sacrifices himself um for the greater good twice in both of his timelines yeah and what's beautiful is we will write a, a message to Margot, giving her the key saying like don't worry about us yeah life because you know how much like you love Margot, you know yeah yeah they have a special connection and yeah, they like grow up as magicians together. Well, in, in their adulthood, at least. Yeah, and so and, and yeah, when as I was watching back the episode, I realized because originally I remembered it as Quentin wrote the letter to tell her how to bring them back. But I, because that's how I kind of remembered it in my head. But as I watched the episode back, I, I realized no, Quentin wrote the letter just to help Margot and to help the rest of the magicians. Yeah, like, how to get the key. Yeah, he was fully prepared that it was his life that, that he had yeah. fully lived out. And he was prepared for that to be his life. He wasn't actually trying to uh, get her to stop them from ever stopping that timeline from happening. Yeah, and let's talk about the montage that oh, broke the fandom. I remember when I saw it, I screamed the entire time. <laughs> well, well, I want to hear it. Well, I mean, like, you don't ex- you, you expect, okay, they're going to lean into Quelia finally. Oh, okay, but then there's a girl. Oh, and there's a child. Wow, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful letting them like just live this life out together without any of the noise that they're usually used to. And they just had each other. And then, of course, uh, I think it was Ariel or Ariel, the Florian wife and the son. And it was... uh, it was such like a beautiful, simple life that they actually got to experience together. Because yeah. sometimes when I think about the sacrifice Quentin made in the the real timeline that actually happened, like I remember that oh yeah, he's actually lived like one in well not quite a half because he was he was still pretty young, but like he already lived a full life. Yeah. Um, and then got to experience a whole different life. I mean, it's crazy that they can remember it, but I mean, since it technically didn't even happen. Uh, because of the way the timey-wimey stuff works. They were stopped from ever going into it in the first place. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, the timey-wimey stuff in any type of movie or show always kind of confuses me a little bit, and I try to figure it out. But At this point, I kind of like, eh, time magic. I'm just like, okay, whatever they say, whatever they say, I'm just going to believe. But that's the thing. Like, I would like to know what happened to Quentin's wife, because she's just gone at one point, and we're not sure if she left or she died. And I would I- like to... I think she died. I'm pretty... I know you were going to say I'd like to think she didn't, but I'm pretty sure she died. Oh, I know. I, I hope she died. I don't think... Uh, I don't think... 
Quinton will have survived as well with her leaving. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it would have been a different reaction for sure. But yeah, yeah. no, I, but I think it's definitely suggested that she uh, that she died. And it's just beautiful that, like, at the end, the beauty of all life is home. Yeah. Building a home with the guy you love or the person you love and yeah. see your child grow up and have their own wing, you know? Yeah, and at the end, like, home isn't some, like, beautiful, I mean, maybe it is, but home doesn't need to be some big, beautiful, like, mansion or some some house that you already thought was the physical place. But, because, I mean, I'm sure Elliot and Quentin never thought that they were going to grow old together in some, you know, flooring shack in the middle of a forest. And uh, so the lesson is that, like, home was the two of them spending their lives together. Yeah. And that, that's what matters. And I think I'll get to uh, say that beautifully in oh, 502, I think, or 503, where you oh. said, like, we love each other a really long time. Yeah, exactly. And that's what was the beauty. It was not the shack. It was not the mosaic. It was them. Yeah, it was the people. It was, like, just the experience the, people's, the people had together. Yeah, and it's just... This uh, this episode, I, it, like, changed Elliot a lot, as well as Quentin. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you notice a difference of acting of or the way the uh, Jason and Elle approach their character after that. Um, I mean, I, I guess, I guess with, with any scene or episode or whatever, it cha it changes your character, and and it, you know when the actors are good, and obviously um, Hale and Jason are both really talented. So it very much applies to both of them. It definitely changes them. So yeah, I, I think I saw a difference um, in their characters. It's funny too, because sometimes it's like subtle things and it's not always like um, uh, personality traits, but it's it's actions and decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it really definitely influenced like a lot of decisions that they made and probably made both of them a little bit more selfless as people. And, um, yeah, I definitely noticed character. It's funny now that you, I never really thought about it, but, um, like with that specific episode, but yeah, now that you say it, I definitely, it seems like they both became a little bit more selfless and, uh, had better perspective. Those are the two things that really stick out to mm, me. Yeah. Because they, they've lived so long that like, oh, shit happens. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, like, now they've lived till they were like, what, like 80 or 90, maybe more years old. And like, with hopefully with time comes better perspective and they have the the uh the the honor the privilege of being in the body of like 25 year olds but having the mind of someone who's actually lived a full life mm -hmm. what a what a great thing <laughs> that'd be cool if that was a real thing that we'd um and and uh, if we continue with elliot and and uh, elliot and and quentin El Quentin will send the letter to Margot after Elliot dies and he finds the key. And he, he says, like, okay, here you go. And Margot goes see Jane Chatwin. And Jane tried to be timey-wimey and say, oh, you're going to give you the key because of... And she's like, fuck you. I just lost my best my two best friends. I yeah. got married to uh, Joffrey Barrett. And I'm like, fuck I you. Yeah, to, to Joffrey, exactly. <laughs> Like, but I like how it was not out of anger that she said that. Yeah. That it was out of grief. Yeah, totally. And it's, I feel like it's pretty justified in another, in an additional way, because like in the past, when young Jane Chatwin went and got the key from Quentin, Quentin realized that there was something more important than him having the key, even though he just spent his whole life getting it and he gave yeah. it to her. And it's almost like, okay, now it's your turn to do the same thing and to not be selfish about it and give it to someone who needs it more. You know, it just kind of came, it's almost like the karma of Quentin giving the key to young Jane Chatwin and then older Jane Chatwin, not older, you know, she's obviously still quite young. She's still a young woman. She's not a child anymore. Um, finding a way to give the key back. You know? Oh my God, so you're so right. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> old episodes is like so fun <laughs> yeah and the um and margot coming with the key and say like oh you want that key motherfucker and say the entrance slide was the only thing keeping me true yeah that was so sweet i think we all have that moment of like i cannot do this anymore but yeah. i had i gotta too and when yeah. i'm gonna do it i'm gonna have a bat and a, a glass of wine and it's gonna be so good yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
no matter what. Sometimes you just have to find a way no matter what. Exactly. If, if it's having a dramatic entrance, I'm all for it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> um, I just want to touch about uh, Julia for a quick second. Um, how she is struggling with her own magic because she doesn't know where yeah. it comes from. And yeah, it- and Alice is kind of confiding how she wants magic. And Julia is like, oh my God, I have magic. This like kind of, and we know that Julia will give Alice the magic, but yeah. it doesn't fit her because it like that magic's not hers. That's Julia's. Yeah, exactly. My only question I have is like, or Lady on the ground comes and tell the truth about where does that magic come from, which is from Reynolds. Yeah. Yep. And I was wondering, like, did the, do you think that the Our Lady Underground did that to, for Julia to accept this magic as hers and make it her own and like, okay, that's my magic and I'm going to make it a, a home for myself or as a, you're gonna, when you're going to discover that, you're going to hate it. So let's rip the bandit now. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I kind of, I mean, it's really, there's a lot of layers to it and it can, it's, there's obviously a layer to it that's super duper duper messed up. But I love the lesson in it. I love, um, I love that. I think the lady, uh, uh, our lady underground, want truly wanted was genuine in that moment and really wanted Julia to realize that it's within Julia's power to make it her own. I, what it, she said something like, um, you know, it doesn't matter about the magic that Julia has. It doesn't matter where it came from. It matters what you choose to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a good lesson, you know, because sometimes we're dealt bad hands in life or, or bad things happen. And like, it's just the way that it is. And that's just the truth. And all that matters is like, is how you go forward and how you deal with it. And even yeah. though this thing, I mean, it's all very like literal and metaphorical too, about the seed being from the her rapist. And obviously there's a lot of, a lot of very obvious layers to that. Um, but talking about that, like it, it, it Realizing that what she, by giving power to what she chooses to do with it, gives her power and takes the power away from the person that originally harmed her. And I think that's, that's a very powerful thing. And the most powerful thing is to be able to take the bad thing and turn it into something good. And, uh, you know, Julia is a very, very strong, sorry, I keep drawing, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm Mm -hmm. literally flipping around my practice, my, my Fen plastic practice knives. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I'm like actually addicted to it now, even though we're on hiatus right now. Then I'm not actually fan. I'm Brittany Kern, but I'm flipping it around and I drop it every once in a while. So that's what that thud is, is me literally flipping my knives. I love it. I love it. That's the best background noise. Yeah, <laughs> my knives thudding on my carpeting. <laughs> so probably. And we're gonna continue on the on the next part of the sh- the the show that wasn't there last time we saw you, so it's new for you too, which yeah. is the Lectio Divina. Um, Lectio Divina okay. is a monastical practice that monks use to read the Bible. That oh. was adapted to, from the podcast uh, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and they read uh, a sentence of the text and see what they can how they can grow from that sentence. Okay, and cool. with their help, we got to adapt it from the magician. So we use the script of the episode, take a sentence, and see how we can grow from it. Okay, cool. So the first, the the, the first step is read, and what is literally happening? The sentence is: We took the quest as far as we could. Okay, cool. So um, what is literally happening? Is that is that Quentin that says that, or is that? Yes. Okay, 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 okay. It's Quentin. <laughs> so it's in the in the Quentin's letter to Margot. Oh right, 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 right. It's in Quentin's letter to Margot. Yes. Okay. Now I'm like, wait, it doesn't make sense that he would have said it to Elliot. Um, cool. Yeah. Are you saying what's the, what's the literal? Are we talking about what what the literal meaning of that is? Well, it's what's happening. We said it. It's basically he wrote that to Margot. Yeah, he wrote that to Margot. <laughs> yeah, to let her know what happened to them and why they're no longer around. Exactly. Step two, allegory. What does it makes you reminds you of a story that we took the quest as far as we could? Um. God, it's funny. It's funny because at the beginning of the episode, Quentin talks to Elliot about like the the, the hero's journey. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, which is like a big thing in literature. And so like, it makes me like think of some kind of like Greek or Roman myth. Um, God, took the journeys. What was the quote again? Took the journeys. We, we took the quest as far as we could. We took the quest as far as we could. Uh, honestly, I think you just alluded to Lord of the Rings, but it literally makes me think of Frodo and Sam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the, with the one ring and then thinking that that's just where it ends and, you know, taking it as far as we could. And then they're given a second chance, you know, mm-hmm. picked up by the big magical bird thing. Kind of like, um, for me, so, you know, Marco's like the big magical bird thing, uh, <laughs> in, in the woman's version of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, for me, it reminds me, probably because I talk of Les Mis, but, of the barricade boys that didn't succeed to do the revolution, but their death will inspire the real revolution. Oh yeah, totally. I love that. I was just, I was just looking to the music of that the other day. I'm obsessed with Les Mis. I, I, uh, yeah, we, uh, we got engaged on Les Mis stage of Broadway. So oh yeah. <laughs> oh my, well, you must've been psyched then when we did a number from it on, uh, on it's, it's the reason why I started to watch the show. In fact, cause, um, the episode aired and my husband came and said, like, you got to watch The Magician. And it just showed me that clip. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I'm so glad I was in that musical number then. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny because you said, like, uh, you know that girl and it was you and you're going to love her. Um, yeah. <laughs> he oh, knows yeah, me. Right. <laughs> it's like he knows me. <laughs> like, it's like your husband knows you so well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the third step is what does it remind you in your life? We took the uh, quest as far as we could. Oh, God. Uh, you go first. I have to think. Yeah, and with me too. I think for me, I'm in a part of my life right now where I'm um, I'm going back to school uh-huh. to change my career. Because uh, oh, I realized that I love my job, but I don't want to do it for the rest of my life. Right. And I had my therapist asking me, like, what do you want to be? In, where do you want to be in five years? Yeah. And it made me like realize that. Oh, that's cool. So that's where I am. Like that my quest like the quest of like where I went and everything I've learned from now took me as far as I could and now I need a new quest. Yeah, I love that. Um that's really nice. It's it's so important sometimes when you switch careers like that, like to yeah. take that because it's yeah, that's the better it's terrifying. Thing. It, it's terrifying, but usually the terrifying thing is generally the actually the best thing to do I found yeah Yeah. um gosh you know I guess I'll relate it more literally to the show you know I mean being on a tv show and and I've been acting for for a really long time now like nothing lasts forever you know no Mm tv I mean maybe other than like law and order SVU and the Simpsons (laughs) (laughs) no tv show goes on forever and so you know, at the, whenever we finish filming each season and when we're still waiting to hear if we get picked up for another season, there's always that thought of, you know, this might be, this might be the end of, of this story and of this world and of this character. And, uh, I love, I love Fen so much that like the thought of her, her story on screen coming to an end is kind of sad, but I, I, I I'm just saying like you go, th- whenever you're on a TV show, you go through this every single time you're waiting to hear if it gets picked up again. And oh so it's this, this waiting game of like, wow, I mean, this show could go on for 10 more years or this could be the last season of a show. Mm-hmm. And so like the thought of like, you know, never being able to fence journey going on for years and years or never being able to, you know, never playing her again is kind of a weird thing, but it's, it's a thing that I'm like, you know what? Like I'm lucky that I've been able to bring her to the screen for, for four years. Well, the show has been on for five, but Fen's been on for four years. And this it's, thing of like, it's like that Dr. Seuss quote, like, what is it? Don't cry because it's over. Um, be, Smile be because that ends. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so um, it's one of those things of like, oh my God, what if, what if Fen's journey ends here? But like it, being happy that it came this far. But uh, it's beautiful because you say that and in the, in the show, Quentin says uh, we took the, fir- the quest as far as we could and now I have something that we need you to do, which is to take the keys and continue the quest. But the magician touched a lot of life. And believe me when I say Fen changed a lot of life. Aww. And especially mine. Like, I changed for the better because I wanted to be like Fen. So I think, like, even if the show ends, her legacy will continue. 
Oh, that makes me so happy. That makes me because Fen means so much to me, and I mean, Fen's changed me too. Like, there's literally lines from the show that James and I will say to each other about Fen. Like, if I'm doing a thing that like Fen also does, that's maybe not so positive, and it's a reminder to try to be stronger, and it's a reminder of like what Fen does sometimes on the show too. Like Fen and I. Fen and it's funny how writers end up getting to know you so well that they kind of write characters similar to you a lot. And yeah. I feel like they write lessons in for Fen that I, Brittany, also need to learn in real life. Mm-hmm. So it definitely influenced me a lot too in my real life. Because uh, when I decided to apply for the, the 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 college I'm going, I was terrified. I was like to my husband, like I'm not sure if I could. It'll blah blah blah. Like I'm 30 years old, and he looked me. What will Fen do? And I'm like, go back to school. Oh, I okay. love that. <laughs> I love that so much. WWFD, what would Fen do? Okay, that that's it. I'm making a design out of that, and I'm sending it to you. <laughs> love it. It's a good reminder for me, too. Well, I'm definitely doing what Fen would do right now, which is flipping my knives around. Uh, well, here you go. For step four was what we feel called for. What will Fen do? That's gonna be our. <laughs> That's so funny. And I'm, uh, I'm hanging out later. Actually, it's funny. Stella Mave is on her way to my house right now. We're actually gonna hang out. Fen would definitely hang out with Julia. Oh my god, yes. And and Julia's actually coming over too later. So I. Uh... Is she bringing your little one? Uh, no, she's not going to bring her little one tonight. Her little one's going to be with Ben, with her, with her hubby. Yeah. Um, I have, I, I met her little one last week and, uh, oh the most beautiful little baby. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, we want to see the baby. We want to see Stella. But I'm like, dude, she's a new mom. Let her live. Yeah. But- yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. She, she loves it. She loves being a mom. It's so, so cute and sweet seeing her Aww. with her baby. Oh my yeah. God. Well, say hi for, to them to me, for me. I will. I will. <laughs> um, um, and before we leave, uh, let's do the vase and the flowers. I don't know if you remember what it is, but um, uh, it's an expression that my grandma used to tell me, which is you don't give the vase and the flower at the same time. Such as a backhanded compliment, such as Fen is nice for a Philorian. Yeah, oh, I love those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that with uh, the Pickwick. Oh, yeah. Oh, the time. Pickwick's are hilarious. <laughs> um, so we give a flower to a character that uh, we think give a, did something good, did something amazing, and a vase to the a character that. It's a, a vase in the face or a reminder that you can be nicer. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, do you want to go? Do you want me to go? Um, yeah, sure. I'll go. I will give. I will give the rose to Quentin because he went, I and mean, I want to give it to Elliot too. Um, but he went on this long selfless journey, and even after he lost his friends, maybe more than a friend, is I mean, I think Elliot a lot of different things to Quentin and yeah. He still decided that it was most important to carry out the quest. And then in the moment where the one piece of solace would be to do the selfish thing and hold on to the key, he actually makes the best decision possible. And like the one piece of comfort is what he gives away to help another person. And so mm-hmm. I think he definitely deserves the rose. And um, the, the vase, oh, this is so rough. I hate doing this because she's my best friend. I'm going to have to give the vase to Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I love you, Jade. I'm sorry, I love you. It's okay, um, it's Katie. It's not Jade. We love Jade. Yeah, Jade is like Jade. I give all the roses to. Um, Jade is like the opposite of Katie. It's insane. She's like the most different from her character. It's very funny. But um, yeah, I guess I mean this is so judgmental of me, and, and who am I to judge? But I I personally feel like she could have been a little gentler with Penny. And of course, I realized she was in rehab and was going through a lot of stuff. But um, I feel like maybe um, Penny deserved a little bit of a gentler welcome back to the uh, the realm of the living. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Poor, poor Penny. I think my, that, that that's the the the, the like the summary of uh, be the Penny. It's poor Penny. Poor Penny. I don't <laughs> love that. that episode. I love that episode so much. Uh, for me, my my uh, flower will go to. That's a good question. 
I wanted to give it to Quentin and Elliot, but let's give it to Margot. To decide, nice. yeah, despite her grief and despite everything, she decided to continue and to to get the key. Like it was not easy for her, and we know wow. how she has her temper. Yep. <laughs> and for her to be able to do that, you go, Margot. Yeah, and then she had this, the, the Marts to go and actually save them. Like, she really thought that one through. Yeah. And I'm going to give my uh, my vase to Elliot for fe- sending Fen and Frey alone with Todd. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <sighs> I love Todd, but he's not the smart and bold and the light. He's not the Yeah, he's not the... He's amazing and hilarious, but might not be the best tour guide for two uh, two native Florians. Especially someone as excitable as Fen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to reel her in, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me to this episode. Thanks, Kath. It was so fun talking about this awesome episode. Uh, is the there anything you want to plug, you want to say, you want to promote? Oh, gosh. Um... I guess. Oh, I'm so sorry. That so okay. The text was from from was from Stella actually. Oh. Um, hi, Stella. Um, I guess if I'm going to be shameless and promote something, I'll promote. Well, we don't have a release date yet, but my uh, I don't know if I talked about it on our last podcast. Probably not. It was probably pre Water of Life, but my whiskey documentary that I you were just starting it. Okay, cool. Yeah, we were just in post production right now. We're almost done, and um. Um, yeah, so my film, The Water of Life, the whiskey documentary that I produced, and, uh, yeah, so that's going to be happening really soon. Well, congratulations. We're going to keep an eye on that. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people follow you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, which is just my name, Brittany Curran, same with Twitter, um, where am I? Oh yeah, I'm also on Cameo now. I can, um, it's this, it's this app where you record videos for people they like put in a request to do like a like do a birthday wishes for somebody or yeah like say happy birthday or just say hi or like say merry christmas i usually go on and on for minutes and nerd out about stuff but um yeah it's pretty much like you can get it for yourself a video for yourself so i would like say hi or say hi to your friends and uh it's this really cute thing to connect with with um actors and singers and what have you that's amazing yeah well, uh, thank you again. I'm going to let you go because uh, probably people are starting to arrive. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And my puppy is just going crazy. It's totally oh. fine. I need to go eat and get ready for the screening. Probably that's why uh, you're going to need the other ones. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, It was so fun chatting with you, Kath. It's, I, always love, uh, I always love our chats and your insight into the, the show. And I, I will send you a, 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 what will Fen do, pro- I promise. Like that, yes. that would be amazing and hilarious. I love it already. All right, have a good day. Thanks, you too, girl. Bye. Bye. This has been Philorian United. Once again, I want to thank Brittany Curran to join me in talking about the show. We recorded it while season 5 was still airing, so she was about to get ready to live tweet with us. So thank you for that as well. If you want to help the show, we are now using Ko-fi to gather donations. You can give as little as $3 to help keep up the show going and pay for the hosting fee. So go on Ko-fi, it's ko-fi.com slash Philorians with an S. And now for the secret at the end of the show. Did you know that Quentin's and Elliot's son are, is uh, officially and canonically called Theodore Rupert Coldwater Wolf?